I'm so happy that you're here to receive God's living word, which will infuse you with power and strength to do what he has called you to do and to be the person that he has called you to be. Praise God. Today we're going to start in Acts chapter 5. Why don't you grab your Bibles and meet me there. We're going to receive the tithes and the offerings first before we jump into today's message. But I think there is something very amazing here in a statement that Peter made that really contradicts the error that is being taught by many of the critics of biblical prosperity. I believe in biblical prosperity mainly because I can read the Bible. I, I just read the Bible and I see that it is the plan of God. Uh, now, if God had a plan where He laid out in Scripture that He wanted us to be homeless and destitute and that nobody should have a job and that we should all just be beggars in life and somehow live out on the street, or that we shouldn't even have streets. Well, if that was in the Scripture, and that would be, would be something that we would be commanded to do, then uh, it would be what it would be. But it's not what I see when I read the Bible. I, I see that the Jewish people were blessed with a covenant that God gave to Abraham that uh, empowered him to prosper, and thus empowered the nation to prosper. And of course, it's obvious physically that that blessing is still on Israel today. When you visit the land of Israel, you think this is a, uh, a wonderful, beautiful country. And you know what? It's just a blessing that is on the Jewish people who are descendants of Abraham. But I, I also see prosperity clearly laid out in the new covenant. But there are those in the church who teach strongly against it. And they, uh, I don't think they have uh, even logically thought out what it is they are trying to express. Because if you take it to what they would suggest, uh, then it, it, it can't be good. Let me, let me see if I can give you an, an example. Many of the critics of biblical prosperity they say things like this. They say things that, that like, uh, we should not drive a Mercedes. Now, now, especially a pastor. They're real hard on pastors, or, or what we would call uh, ministers. A minister should never drive a Mercedes. Matter of fact, Christians should not drive a luxury car. Okay, so um, when, that, when that approach is given, uh, that you should not drive a Mercedes, you should sell it, and you should give the money to the poor. Just think of all the money that you could save if you didn't have that Mercedes and you sold it and you gave the money to the poor. So if you turn around and ask them, well, uh, I see that you drove over here to critique me and to share those things with me. I, I noticed you're driving a Kia. Why don't you sell your Kia and take the money and give it to the poor? And they don't, they don't know what to say. They, they don't know what to say, but they'll, they'll judge you on your Lexus, BMW, or Mercedes, or what they term in their, in their peripheral vision as being, you know, wealth or whatever. But, you know, if you, if you say, well, you know, sell your, sell your Kia, and you take your profits, and you give them to the poor, you do that, and then you come back and talk to me, they'll never come back and talk to you. They won't. And I, I, this is what I have found out, that what they actually preach, 
by preaching against biblical prosperity. They don't even practice what they preach. They'll say things like this. It's wrong for a Christian to wear a Rolex. Now, of course, they would especially highlight the fact (laughs) that it's severely wrong for a minister to wear a Rolex. They never tell you why. They just have certain, certain strong viewpoints. By the way, strong viewpoints aren't enough to convince me and millions of other Christians. The only thing that convinces me is show it to me in Scripture. Okay? But they'll say things like this. It's wrong for a Christian to have a Rolex. Okay, so here's what I say. This is what my response to them. Okay, what kind of a watch are you wearing? Well, I'm just, I'm wearing a Seiko. Okay, good. You take your Seiko, sell your Seiko, give the money to the poor, and then come back and talk to me. And they'll never come back and talk to you. Now, Pastor Stephen, it would be wrong for you to have a Rolex. You should sell it and give it to the poor. And then take the money uh, and, 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 yeah, give that to the poor. But if you ask them to take their Timex and sell it and give it to the poor, you never hear from them again. I'm just telling you that these critics, they don't even practice what they preach. Well, it's wrong for a Christian to live in a big house. We should all live in small houses. But, you, you know, you go look at their house, and their house is not small. Very interesting, the hypocrisy of the critics. They really do not practice what they preach. So here's something very interesting in Acts chapter uh, 5, verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold the possession and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. And Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? Watch verse 4. Verse 4, the verse that the critics don't know what to do with. Pastor Stephen, you shouldn't be drinking that nice water. You should, um, you should just uh, fast all the time. <laughs> you shouldn't have a nice cup. You should have a paper cup. And on and on it goes. <laughs> all right. Now look at verse 4. While it remained, talking about the proceeds of the sale, they've got the money in their hands. While it remained, was it not your own Was it not your own? In other words, it's your money. It's your money, Ananias and Sapphira. And after it was sold, talking about the sale of the land, was it not in your own control? Your own control. Okay, your land, your money from the sale of your land, and your money now in your control. In your control. Why do critics want to control your spending when it's not even their money? That, that kind of reminds me of some of the elements of former governmental ad- administrators, some former presidents who always wanted to um, take money from some and move it over here and give it to others. Have you ever noticed how generous they were with money that wasn't theirs? <laughs> we're going to take we're going to take money over here and we're going to spend it on this. Well, where are you taking it from? Where are you taking it from the taxpayers? And so they, they were very generous with money that was not theirs. But when it's yours, you have control of it. You have the right of what you're going to do with it. Nobody, listen to me this morning, nobody on this planet has authority or empowerment to tell you what to do with your money except for God. You shouldn't have a, you shouldn't have a watch like that. 
Well, 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 now hold on a minute. What are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to come before you and get your permission before we make any kind of a purchase? Uh, I'd like to buy some Campbell's soup. No, you're not allowed. You're only allowed ramen noodles. Oh, sorry about that. I'll, I'll ask you next time. And on and on it goes. On and on it goes. I, I'd like to get a birthday cake. Okay, but it has to be it has to be a whip whip frosting. It can't be buttercream frosting. That would be a note of that would denote luxury. Oh, okay, okay. And it, it, start, it starts getting crazy. Why? Because people that are not illuminated in the scriptures. They're illuminated intellectually, but not spiritually. They try to act spiritual by trying to say, oh, you're not, you're, you're not living like Jesus would. And, uh, you know, Jesus, uh, I'm not really going to get into that. that. That's an extended teaching. But what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that the people that try to put these limits on you, they don't even practice what they're preaching. If poverty were biblical okay in other words if God wanted you to be poor like many of the these uh, critics suggest I'm talking about critics of biblical prosperity let's let's just run this thought out can we do that because this is what they don't do let's just run this out they are suggesting that we shouldn't have nice things okay all right well look if if you really do believe that God wants you to be poor well then why not just go all the way with it right why not just start giving everything away, give your house away, give your vehicle away, do, do the great one, give your cell phone away, and don't have a cell phone, <laughs> all right, okay, shut your whole life down, go back in the stone age, although you're living in the modern era, but just give it all away, give it all away, if you really believe that God wants you to be poor, so they, they suggest these types of things, but they never walk into it, by the way, I did, years back when the enemy brought a great attack against my life and in my ignorance of scripture I actually thought this whole thing that was unraveling was of God I didn't know it was the devil and I ended up homeless living in a cardboard box my testimony is in my book called the sacred anointing and that testimony has helped a lot of people to realize that God's a good God the devil's a bad devil and you know I ended up living in a cardboard box and one of the reasons that I, I fell into such a low place think think about it in America the most prosperous nation on the face of the earth I was living in a cardboard box because the teachers that I grew up under in church said it was holy to be poor but they never practiced it like many of the critics of biblical prosperity. They'll criticize it. They'll never practice it. Do you know, you know what's really going on? The critics are jealous. Oh, they would never say they are. <laughs> that would mean that they're sinful, right? To be je jealous. Jealousy is a very, it's, it's right over there with pride. It's a nasty one. It's a bad one. They would never admit they're jealous. But the truth is, that's why a lot of these critics against ministers, against prosperity, that's why they're criticizing because they're actually jealous. They don't know how to, themselves to tap into it because they don't know the principles of the covenant. And th so they get frustrated. And then they start teaching against the truths of God's word, thinking they're doing something good when they're only digging their hole deeper. Hmm praise the Lord so like I said they don't even really practice it because 
what they would espouse us to do, they don't do themselves. We should all be poor. Well, then why, why are you living in a nice home? Why, why do you have a nice apartment? Why do you have a car? Well, it's just a Toyota Celica. Well, you know, why not ride a bicycle? You know, because your Toyota Celica is causing, uh, is causing a, a carbon dioxide to be emitted into the atmosphere. Why not just get rid of that and ride a bicycle or get an electric skateboard? Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I, I remember years back, prophet Kenneth Hagin, he said something because, um, you know, he was persecuted because he understood the truths of God's word. Remember, Jesus said, you can have the hundredfold return in your lifetime here on the earth with persecutions. Uh, prophet Kenneth Hagin was persecuted, but he, he said, he said, now look, he said to, to one man, he said, I don't criticize you if if you have Chevrolet faith and you want to drive a Chevrolet, I don't criticize you because you have Chevrolet faith. He said, but don't criticize me just because I've got Cadillac faith. <laughs> Woo, glory to God. Hallelujah. Jesus said, according to your faith, be it unto you. Okay. So it's, you know, whatever faith level you're at. And of course you can climb the ladder. You can climb the ladder. And I've done that. I've done that on vehicles. I started out, I remember years back on a certain base model. And I always, I would see the other, the other models drive past me at times on the road with the, what we would call all of the options. And I always wondered what would it be like to have the same model, but with all of the options. Wow. I really wish I had those, those wider wheel, uh, wheels and rims. And really wish I had the one that had the stereo upgrade option, but you know, I never had that. So I would just keep believing and then the next purchase I would step it up and I remember one time I finally stepped up into this one model to the very highest level they had with all the bells and whistles and I thought you know what this is this is really cool and I, I would pull up to gas stations to fill up and people would ask me about the vehicle I was driving it was a real conversation starter with a lot of guys this thing was like a guy magnet I don't want to drive something that's a woman magnet <laughs> the only woman I want to attract is my wife so uh, I stay away from the wrong magnets but this this was like a, a guy testimony magnet guys would just come up to me and ask me about the hey you know was that did you have to get it customized or did it come from the factory like that and it was just a total conversation starter and I could always uh, end up working the Lord into the conversation it was it was a lot of fun but you know, a lot of this is just according to your faith bid unto you, you increase, you increase, but you'll have those that will criticize it. You'll have those that will uh, uh, ridicule the goodness of God. You'll have those that will speak against those who are blessed. And much of it really is being done out of jealousy. Praise God. See, when I come to you, whether it's here on the internet or whether it's with television or however I, I speak to you and minister to you, whether it's in person, I'm laying hands on you or praying over you, whatever the case might be. My whole motive and the motive of this ministry, my wife and our team, our whole motive is to serve you. So when I, when I pray for you and I think about you, my heart is, how can I serve you? I want to serve you by giving you a good meal spiritually in the sense, bring something to you that will feed you spiritually. I'm thinking, how can I serve you? So let's just ask a few questions. Would it, would it really bless you? Would it really help you if I came before you and ministered to you barefoot with no shoes and no socks? Um, 
you know, if that could help in some way, if that would be an asset, my serving you in the name of Christ, if it were really some spiritual empowerment in that, then I, I would do it. I wouldn't want to do it in the winter, but I, I would probably just try to tough it out and rough it out and do it if it did something that helped you. But me being barefoot, ministering the word of God to you, how in the world is that going to do anything to help you? If I, if I come before you with, with tattered and worn clothes, how is that going to make my message somehow uh, more dynamic, more anointed, more powerful? How is that going to help? I, I don't see the connection between poverty and somehow all of a sudden we become spiritual because we, we have less. I, I, and I'm not also trying to go overboard with the extreme where now you've got so much stuff you can't. Uh, it's hard to juggle it because if you have a lot of stuff, you've got to maintain it. If you have a lot of stuff, um, it, there's upkeep involved, there's insurance involved, there's taxes involved. And, uh, you know, you do want to be careful that you, you are not in a place where you are distracted. But God can give you a lot and you can govern it with peace and wisdom. And although it may be, uh, maybe it looks like a lot, even if it's a large corporation, or even a gigantic corporation, if you're the CEO, you know, God gives you grace, God gives you anointing, God gives you help. So you don't have to clutter your life and uh, get, you know, get stressed out. You can, you can be blessed and you can be peaceful. You can be content and you can have a lot. Um, you don't want to get to a place though where you're distracted. If that's the case, you may need to unload some things so that you can mainly, you know, be focused on serving the Lord and, uh, you know, be a good spouse, be a good parent and, uh, you know, just do all you can in your service to the Lord. Praise the Lord. But, you know, I'm, I'm really here to serve you. I don't, I don't think it would help you for me to serve you. I don't think it would help anymore if I was homeless. I don't see how being homeless can really help me serve you. I, I just don't see that. I don't see that. If living on the streets somehow empowered me to serve you, I, I would I would maybe try to embrace that, but I, I just don't see how it does it. <laughs> so, so just, you know, ha- having all of this poverty, embracing poverty, I, I don't see any, any plus in it. I, I don't see that it's biblical. I know uh, some ministers have strong feelings against prosperity, but strong feelings don't convince me. Sincerely held beliefs don't convince me. The only thing that convinces me is the Bible. And here I see Peter the choicest apostle, the chief among the 12, I see him telling Ananias and Sapphira regarding their land that they've sold and now the money that they hold in their hands, while it remained, was it not your own? Okay, it's their money. And after it was sold, was it not in your control? In other words, you have control over what you want to do with your money. Now, if you want to give an offering, that's fine. You need to do it truthfully and in sincerity. But these people that would try to say, you can't drive that, you can't wear that, you can't live there, you shouldn't live in a subdivision like that, you shouldn't this, you shouldn't do that. And they're trying to tell you what to do with your money. And they have no scriptural right to do such a thing. Not only is it unbiblical, where does it lead to? Does it lead to us having to ask that person permission before we ever buy anything? Lest they think that's, uh, that's too expensive. You can't have that. You can have the next level down. And this, I mean, have they become a God? No, no, we will not accept such, uh, really, when you look into it, lunacy. And so these people that criticize biblical 
uh, prosperity and ministers that teach prosperity, they don't even think out the dialogue of their conversation of where it leads to. It leads to a mess. It leads to cultism and control and um, manipulation over people's lives and a lot of bizarre stuff. So we thank God for his blessings. We thank God for his goodness. And we thank God for the word. We thank God for the word that reveals uh, God's will for our life. So your money is your money. Now, I, I know that our lives as a whole, including our checkbooks, our wallets, our saving accounts, or whatever um, portfolio financially you might have, our whole lives are submitted to the Lord. And if the Lord touches any area and he says, I want that, then that, that's good. But, you know, people don't have a right to do that. Only the Lord has a right to do that. Now, people can present a need. Ministers can present a need. But nobody can tell you what to do with your money. Only the Lord can do that. Woo, praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And um, there are times when the Lord can speak through ministers in a way where they know what a person's supposed to do and sometimes can even share that. And yes, the Lord is in that. He's in that. But that's the Lord also working through his, his vessels because he doesn't just shout it down from heaven. He works through uh, his vessels, but by the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I think this is freeing some people up. I think this is helping some people. Because what I've seen with the critics of prosperity, they don't even practice what they preach. They'll say it's wrong, and you look down, they're wearing a brand new pair of nice shoes. They don't even practice what they preach. <laughs> Woo! They say we shouldn't have nice things, and they say it with a nice suit and tie. Well, it's may, maybe it's not an Armani suit, but if they really practice what they preach, they should stand there in sackcloth and ashes, barefoot, and then walk outside in freezing temperatures and walk to the, to the airport. <laughs> and then really, if they're really humble, they shouldn't fly either. How about this one? I'm going to go a little bit further. Um, they say that private jets are wrong, Ooh, especially for ministers, that for a minister to get on a private jet is a grievous sin in the eyes of God. Yet they'll turn right around and get on a flight with Delta or American Airlines, and they'll get on a jet. The only difference is that Delta's is not private. Now, Delta does have a, a small section of private jets if you would like to lease one, uh, but they'll criticize private jets that ministers fly in because they like that they do meetings all over the place, so they have to have a, their own jet because they're traveling sometimes every day. So the critics will criticize that. They'll say they shouldn't have jets, and then they'll turn right around and get on Delta or American Airlines. What are they doing? They're getting on a jet. What's the difference? It's just another jet. Well, that one's private. Well, that one's public. It's still just what? It's still just a jet. Wow. Mm. And they'll get, on, they'll get on Delta on the jet or United or American, whatever, and type on their, on their, you know, internet social platforms and criticize ministers for flying on private jets while they're flying on a jet themselves. You, you talking about uh, just not thinking it through. They're, they're just not thinking it through. So I believe that the Bible being the truth of God's word is also very practical. 
that any time there's truth, you think it through, it just makes sense. It leads somewhere good. I think anything that's an error, if you begin to think it through, you realize this is leading into some really weird stuff. And that's what that, um, that error and that criticism of biblical prosperity does. It leads into some very bizarre areas that I I even believe would be cult-like areas. Praise God. So we embrace the teaching of God's word for prosperity. All right. It is time to honor the Lord today with our tithes and offerings. If you are mailing in your tithe and offering, please send it to Stephen Brooks International, P.O. Box 3456, Morrisville, North Carolina, zip code 28117. Praise God forever. If you are going to bring the tithe and offering in online, please visit the ministry website, stephenbrooks.org, uh, stephenbrooks.org, and there is a link on the homepage called Tithes and Offerings Sow and Reap. Praise God. And you can go there and bring them in right now. I'm happy in my spirit. There's a lot stirring. Uh, in the atmosphere. I believe people are getting free right now. Um, I think that there can be so many different voices out there, even in the church, that young believers are like, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't know what to do here. And so I just want to help some out that may have been struggling with that. Praise God. You know what? It's so good to know that there is a platform that you can stand on for financial prosperity that is solid, sure, and consistent. It's a covenant of prosperity. And a covenant is when two people come into an agreement and over and over a deal that's being made. Now the deal has terms. The contract has terms. If you'll do your part, the other party will do their part. If you do your part, God will do his part. So the the covenant of prosperity is something that uh, a lot of believers don't know about. They struggle financially. Uh, They are under the flow of the world system. And so these are the ones that look at it as, uh, you know, well, some are destined to be rich. Some are destined to be poor. Some are destined to be middle class, and there's nothing you can do about it. No, not on the covenant platform. Get on the covenant platform with God. Meet his terms and conditions. It's different from salvation. This is a different covenant. This is a covenant of finances. This requires your obedience. If you will, if you will obey and meet these biblical requirements that establish a platform in your life, then you will experience prosperity. It's just as sure as the sun coming up in the morning and the moon coming out at night. It's, it's solid. Praise God. And the first thing you need to do to engage God on that covenant platform is to be a tither. Pastor Stephen, some of the critics don't agree with that. Yep. And a lot of those critics uh, they suffer for it financially, and, and it's, quite, it's quite obvious. You know, the stronger you are financially, the more you can do to cause the good news of Jesus to be preached around the world. I don't say that lightly. The, there is an empowerment by God through financial provision. I encourage you to get on the covenant platform. It begins with tithing. It begins with tithing, and then it begins with sowing seed. Praise the Lord. 
Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. God's answering questions for some people. There, there have been those before with great dismay, great confusion in the body of Christ who have sat back and have made statements like this, Lord, I just don't understand why I've never come into prosperity. They, they make statements like that. Lord, I just guess it's not your will for me. It's like a farmer sitting on, on the porch in his rocking chair, looking out, out over his, his acres and acres of property. And the farmer sits back on this porch at his rocking chair, and he just says, you know, God, I just don't understand why I don't have a harvest. I just don't even understand why I don't have a harvest. Maybe it's not your will for me to have a harvest. But yet he never stops to think or ask himself the question, how much seed have I sown? Because your harvest is determined by your seed. These are not mysteries. <laughs> your prosperity is determined by your obedience to God's commandments concerning financial prosperity. And if you begin to tap into that, you will very easily unravel what the covenant platform is. And I've talked about it many times. So I'm just trying to help some people to get on solid ground. Find financial peace. Woo! You'll be happy. You'll be happy, praise God. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I have a feeling, I have a suspicion that some of these critics of prosperity, that if they received an unexpected inheritance of $20 million, I have a feeling that for many of them, their theology would change really quickly. Just have a strong feeling about that. Hmm. Praise God. <laughs> I have a new revelation now. Yes, I'm, I'm sure you do. But see, what we believe is not based on circumstances that change or don't change. Somebody won the lottery. Now I have a different theology. God wants me blessed. No, no, no. We don't base our theology on outside exter- external circumstances. We base it on the Word. We base it on the Word. That settles it forever. And then, because we base it on that, everything else begins to come in line with that. Praise God. Father, I pray for your people. I pray for them as they're bringing the tithes and offerings into the storehouse now, that you bless them with prosperity, and that they be strong and settled in their prosperity, and that they would have a humble heart and scriptural reason to answer anybody who would unjustly criticize them for the blessings that you have bestowed upon their lives. Father, we thank you in Jesus name. Amen. And amen. Praise the Lord. Praise God forever. Woo. Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. Sometimes you tried to help people. I think there are some people you can help. I think there's others. They don't want to be helped. They, they, they think they already know the truth. And so, uh, it's, it's somewhat like Jesus uh, said to his disciples concerning the Pharisees. He said, leave them alone. It, uh, that's in the context of trying to argue with them or, or so forth. He, he told his disciples, he said, leave them alone. If the blind follow the blind, they, they'll all fall into a ditch. And so that's really what the Pharisees were. They were just in a ditch and they were not teachable. Even the Lord Jesus could not teach them.
So if, if God can't teach you, you know, it's a pretty stubborn case. So there's a lot of Christians, they're not going to get it straightened out, and they're not going to learn it until they get to heaven. And that's okay, they'll learn it there. They're going to have to adjust real quick uh, the moment their toes hit the ground on solid gold streets. Not streets that are paved with gold, streets that are gold. Their, their, thought, their theology will change very, very quickly. Praise God. Today, let's go to Isaiah chapter 52. Thank you, Lord Jesus, today. We're in Isaiah chapter 52. Let's go to verse 1. I want to talk about the church wakening up. Wakening up. I feel, I feel that anointing. The, the freshness, the boldness of a fresh roasted coffee spiritually in the atmosphere. It's a wake-up call. It's happening. Heavenly Father, as we jump into your word today, let there be quickening power by your Holy Spirit. Let us be like the sons of Issachar who knew, who knew times and seasons. Times and seasons. And Lord, it is the season of the awakening. And the church is awakening. We feel the stirring. Father, we thank you. We dare to believe it. In Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah 52, verse 1. Awake. Awake. I'm speaking that to you today prophetically. Awake. Put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For the uncircumcised and the unclean shall no longer come to you. Shake yourself from the dust, arise. Sit down, O Jerusalem. Loose yourself from the bonds of your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. God's own precious people in captivity. Well, Isaiah 52, context. The people of God hauled off into Babylonian captivity. Goodbye, promised land. The land that their forefathers fought so hard to acquire. Built houses, planted vineyards, and uh, had, had wonderful things. But because of sin and rebellion, turning away to, from God, turning to idols, involved in idolatry, paganism, uh, hedonism, and all types of isms, and this and that. After refusing to repent, after turning away uh, the extended mercy of God, God finally, in a different form of mercy, brought judgment. Brought judgment and an order now to teach them. And so they're hauled off to captivity. Off to Babylon they go. Off to Iraq. And so years go by. Years go by. And they're now in Babylon. Many of them have learned the languages there of the big modern city. They can now speak the Chaldean language. Many of them have uh, gotten settled and they've merged into the society and culture of Babylon. Others have established businesses and uh, have worked their way up. And they're still there though in Babylon. And so the king of Babylon made a famous decree. He even opened, uh, opened the double gates and said, Jews, you are free. You have my permission to go back to the land of your forefathers. And you would think, you would think the church of the Old Testament, the Jews, all of the Jews in Babylon would say, oh, we've been waiting so long for this. The miracle has finally come. We're going to pack up just as quick as we can, and we're getting out of here. Yet, only a tiny, tiny remnant went back. 
Oh, yes, there would be work to do. Jerusalem in many ways has been abandoned. Walls have fallen down. Uh, cities have been burned. Fields destroyed. There's going to be some work to do. But nevertheless, you're back in the promised land. You're back in the covenant flow that God has. But even still, only a few chose to leave. Shake yourself from the dust. This is an awakening. Awake, awake. Put on your strength. Okay. Verse 2. Loose yourself from the bonds of your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. There is an awakening right now. Not for the church, in a sense, to start marching out of the physical walls or, you know, cross over uh, Babylon. You know, let's all get our passports and go to Iraq. That's not a good idea. Very, very dangerous uh, and really a good place to get kidnapped and lose your life. Uh, And so, of course, we don't want to do anything foolish like that. But, my friends, there is the spiritual Babylon, the, the distractions, the entanglements of the world. And it's, it's, it's like the, the old book, Gulliver's Travels, where, where Gulliver, uh, an Englishman, left England and got on a ship and began to travel around the world. And he had four different trips that he took. And the, the first trip, he lands on the island and uh, he ends up, you know, getting captured by the, uh, I think they were called the Lily Puritans or something like that. These little bitty guys, little bitty creatures. So he's laying down asleep and he wakes up and he's all tied down. He's got these thousands of little ropes all over him and they've, you know, they've tied him down. He's the big, he's, he's a normal sized guy, but he's on this island of all these little people and they've tied him down and they've tied him down. And so, you know, he, he lays there and, you know, kind of has to go through this whole situation there of, uh, uh, of getting that situation resolved. But the, the thing is, is that the church is similar to Gulliver, uh, laid down, went to sleep, and during the sleeping time, slept longer than you should have, and you got captured. You got captured. You got tied down, and you've been laying there for so long now that you don't know if you can break free. You can, but you just don't know. And so maybe because you don't know, you don't even try. So what happens? You end up staying in Babylon. And you say, well, we've gotten accustomed to this. You know what? We used to be God's uh, chosen people from the perspective of highly blessed and favored. And we had the great rule and reign of David. Then we had the golden era with Solomon as king. And we were the splendor of the whole earth. Uh, but now we're just, a, you know, a bunch of slaves. Some of us have gained our freedom. Some of us has opened up our own shops. And, you know, we're just kind of, you know, eking out a living here in Babylon. And, we, you know, why try? Why try? We, you know, uh, we have no assurances if we try to leave and, 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 you know, start over and go back home to Israel. So just lay down, stay asleep. But God said, no, awake, awake, loose yourself. From the bonds of your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. See, you have to want to be free. Loose yourself. The king can open the door, but the king's not going to take his soldiers and get a spear and poke you in the back and say, get out of here. Nope, you, you can stay if you want. You can leave with you if, if you want and go back to your, your, your promised land. But, oh, my friends, God's awakening the church, and the church is beginning to rise and beginning to say, I'm, I'm refusing to be tied down anymore. I'm refusing to be defeated in these areas of my life anymore. And there is an awakening that is taking place in the church. There is an awakening that is taking place in the nation of America. Watch out. 
something amazing is going to take place. The enemy's worst nightmare, and it's not President Trump getting elected. Oh, I owe the devil. Oh, he was really very, very disturbed that uh, a, a good president got in there who really loves America. I, I'm not saying Mr. Trump is perfect. We know that. But God's hand is on him. God's hand is on him. Of course, I know there will be those even in the church that don't agree with that. that that's okay. But nevertheless, he's in office, and the Lord's trying to do some amazing things. But the thing, the, the thing that, you know, all, all of these, um, how can I say, crazy people out there, that would love to see the America that we know completely destroyed. They would love to see America, you know, plunged into socialism, communism, atheism. They would just love to see God and Christians and Jews completely wiped out of this country. But something is beginning to happen where I believe, I believe it's the worst case scenario for the enemy. It would be the worst thing that the enemy could ever uh, see happen. And you know what it is? It's, a, it's an awakening. It is a spiritual awakening. I'm not just talking about revival. I'm talking about a full-blown awakening. And I, I, believe, I believe we're starting to see the movements of Gulliver beginning to strain against the little bitty strings. And I believe that Gulliver had the strength, and of course he did, just to snap it, you know, to get up. And uh, the enemy doesn't want you to think that you can get up, but you can. God is awakening his people to his glory, his majesty, his strength, and his power. And there's going to come a time when the church will look back and say, we can't believe we used to be held down by that. Can you believe uh, these things used to be allowed and take place in America? And why? Because the church was asleep. The church was asleep. But I believe that there is a mighty awakening that we're not going to be like Jonah down in the belly of the ship. And of course, Jonah didn't know he's about to be in the belly of a fish because of his uh, rebellion against the Lord. And, you know, he was just so sleepy. He wanted to sleep off his rebellion. And, you know, the captain called down to him, wake up, O sleeper. You know, don't you know that we're battling for our lives up here? Come on and get up here. Mm-hmm. He had to wake up. Isaiah 60, arise and shine. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. We also see in the life of Samson, oh, the sleepiness of laying his head in the lap of Delilah. And you want to say, Samson, wake up. Oh, Samson, you're toying with your destiny. You, you are toying with the anointing of God. Wake up. You don't realize how strong and powerful you are. You're taking all of this for granted. Praise God. But sometimes through defeats, whether it's Samson or others who've had to learn through various failures, then comes the grace of God. Whether it's Israel hauled off to Babylon, then comes the grace of God. The lesson has been learned. Hearts are humble, and God opens the door and says, go free now. You're awake. Come on out now. And you wake up, you smell the coffee, (laughs) and you say, this is my destiny moment. And America in history has had three spiritual awakenings. We haven't had one for over 100 years. So for many, it's not even on the radar, but it's on God's radar. And uh, this this is something 
This is something powerful, powerful, powerful. We need to be ready for this. Praise the Lord. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5. You need to be praying into this, and you need to be you need to be spiritually engaged with what God is doing. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14. Therefore, he says, Awake, you who sleep. He's talking about Christians. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. This is written to believers. Get out of dead works. Wake up. Don't be distracted. Don't get engulfed with the activities of life. Mm, wake up just running full speed end it late at night just wore out still going full speed wake up the next day do the whole thing no time for prayer no time for word uh, no time to be engaged in the things of the Lord and then expect that somehow you could just turn on spirituality like that you can't you can't praise the Lord oh God is waking up his people to come back to him and he's touching his people with his glory praise the Lord When Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, talking with the blessed Moses and the blessed Elijah, the disciples, the three that were there, had fallen asleep. What woke them up? Well, they heard a conversation and they woke up. No, that wasn't the conversation that woke them up. It was the light that was on Jesus at nighttime that began to illuminate that place. And you, you can just imagine those three apostles, Peter, James, and John, thinking, whew, did we oversleep? Is it 10 o'clock in the morning? No, it's, it's Jesus over there. So they realize it's still dark, but there's light, and it's the light that woke them up. And it's the glory of the Lord that's awakening the church up and saying, break it off throw off any chain and go. The doors are open. Step into your destiny. The time is now. The church's greatest moment has not yet been realized. Did you know that? Oh, Pastor Stephen, the greatest moment was in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost. That was the church in its infant state. Mm, Praise God. Hallelujah. Oh, yes, there was power. It's a foretaste of power. The great, the great work of the Spirit of the Lord is beginning to unfold in these last days. And we're, we're in them. It is not a time to be asleep. And the glory is waking the church up. In America, yes. And around the world. But I have a heart for America today. I have a heart for America today. Because I, I'm an American. Praise the Lord. I'm a world traveler, but I'm, I'm an American. And I'm very honored to be an American. Praise the Lord. I love, I love our president. I love the vice president. I love what God is doing through them. And I believe that God wants to do some things in this nation that are amazing. The enemy's terrified of it. That's why the enemy's going cuckoo with all kinds of crazy cuckoo stuff uh, of threats and intimidation and things like that. But the church is beginning to wake up and the devil's getting extremely nervous. The devil is getting extremely nervous. That's why all of this uh, vile hate uh, of uh, trying to attack those who are doing what's right. But the, the church is beginning to wake up and it's, it's getting too strong. And the yoke, all these things are beginning to break. What's happening? Gulliver is, is moving. Okay. The, li- the lily puttins have held him down with all these ropes and cords. But he's beginning to move and think these little, these little tidbit guys can't hold me. 
Okay, that's what's going on with the church right now. There's movement, and the enemy's uh, starting to sense it. There's, there's panic. But, oh, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is rising. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I want to read to you the vision by the prophet of God, Tommy Hicks. Uh, this vision took place July 25th, 1961. Tommy Hicks was a great man of God that was responsible primarily for what we know as the great Argentine revival. And he went down there from America with a word from the Lord, Uh, even on the airplane as he was flying down there, the Lord uh, told Tommy Hicks that, that he was going to meet a man named Perone. And he didn't know who Perone was. He asked the flight stewardess, who is there somebody in, uh, in this country named Perone? Uh, she laughed and said, yes, the, the president of the country. <laughs> so, you know, he's thinking, how in the world am I going to meet him? Well, he, he tries to go to meet him, meets the bodyguards outside, prays for one of the bodyguards, short story. That person receives a miracle healing. Word gets back through the bodyguards, gets to the president. The president has a terminal disease that doctors can't heal. Um, excuse me, it may not have been terminal, but it was, it was a disease, a skin condition that nobody could fix. And he stuck with it. And he look, looked horrible. So uh, Tommy Hicks prayed for him, and Jesus healed the president. Well, the president said, what do you want? Tommy Hicks said, I want a stadium. And so, long story short, revival began to roll. It's known as the Argentine revival. Now, this is a vision that Tommy Hicks had concerning the latter days. I believe we are now in these days. He said, my message begins July 25th, about 2.30 in the morning. And this was while he was in Winnipeg, Canada. By the way, he was such a successful prophetic apostolic minister in Argentina. I think he's actually buried there, if I'm correct. I think he and his wife both are, okay? Because they, they live their lives out there in heaven now. Now, Tommy Hicks said, he said, I had hardly fallen asleep when the vision and the revelation that God gave to me came before me. The vision came three times, exactly in detail. The morning of July 25th, 1961, I was so stirred and so moved by the revelation that this has changed my complete outlook upon the body of Christ and upon the last end time ministry. The greatest thing that the church of Jesus Christ that has ever been given to the church lies straight ahead. It is so hard to help men and women to realize and understand the thing that God is trying to give to his people in the end time. As the vision appeared to me after I was asleep, I suddenly found myself at a great high distance. Where I was, I do not know. But as I was looking down upon the earth, suddenly the whole earth came into view. Every nation, every kindred, every tongue came before my sight from the east and from the west, from the north and the south. And I recognized every country and many cities that I had been in. And I was almost in fear and trembling as I beheld the sight before me. And at that moment, as the earth came into view, it began to lightning and thunder. As the lightning flashed over the face of the earth, my eyes went downwards. I was facing the north. Suddenly I beheld what looked like a giant. And as I stared and looked at it, I was almost bewildered by the sight. 
It was so gigantic and so great in stature. His feet seemed to reach to the North Pole and his head to the South. Its arms were stretched from sea to sea. Uh, look, look, this this is the this is a vision of the global revival of the end times. I could not even begin to understand whether this was a mountain or whether this be a giant. But as I watched it, I suddenly beheld this great giant. I could see it was struggling for life to even live. Maybe, maybe that's been your condition struggling just to stay alive, struggling, maybe a believer, but maybe discouraged, maybe depressed, maybe sick, maybe struggling with disease, maybe struggling with sin addictions. Listen carefully as I continue to read. But his body was covered with debris from head to foot. And at times this great giant would move its body and act as though it would rise up at times. And when it did, thousands of little creatures seemed to run away. Hideous looking creatures would run away from this giant. And when he would become calm, they would come back. All of a sudden, this great giant lifted his hand toward the heavens, and then it lifted its other hand, and when it did, these creatures by the thousands seemed to flee away from this giant and go into the darkness and into the night. Slowly, this great giant began to rise, and as he did, his head and hands went into the clouds. As he arose to his feet, He seemed to have cleansed himself from the debris and filth that was upon him. And he began to raise his hands into the heavens as though praising the Lord. And as he raised his hands, it was even unto the clouds. Suddenly every cloud became silver, the most beautiful silver that I have ever known. As I watched this phenomena, it was so great, I could not even begin to understand what it all meant. I was so stirred as I watched it and cried unto the Lord. And I said, O Lord, what is the meaning of this? And it felt as if I was actually in the spirit and I could feel the presence of the Lord, even as I was asleep and from the clouds, suddenly there came great drops of liquid light raining down upon the mighty giant. Now, now listen, listen to this just for a moment. I have been uh, in a service before where liquid light, like, like drops, huge drops of rain, like the drops felt like they were that big, like diamond shaped. I could feel them when they're falling on me, like a teardrop shape. I've been in a meeting before where I have been rained on with liquid light. I've had a bath before in liquid light. It is absolutely, um, you talking about supercharging your engine. Oh, glorious, glorious, the most joy filled uh, one of the most joy-filled experiences I've ever had in the spirit before I've talked to other people have also have been immersed in the liquid light rain of God. So listen to this. And from the clouds, this is going to touch you. Praise God. And from the clouds, suddenly there came great drops of liquid light raining down upon the mighty giant. And slowly, slowly, this giant began to melt, began to sink as it were into the very earth itself. And as he melted, 
His whole form seemed to have melted upon the face of the earth. And this great rain began to come down. Liquid drops of light, as it were, began to flood the very earth itself. And as I watched this giant that seemed to melt, suddenly it became millions of people over the face of the earth. And as I beheld the sight before me, the people stood up all over the world. They were lifting their hands and they were praising the Lord. At that very moment, there came a great thunder that seemed to roar from the heavens. I turned my eyes toward the heavens and suddenly I saw a figure in white glistening white, the most glorious thing I have ever seen in all my life. I did not see the face, but somehow I knew that it was the Lord Jesus Christ. And as he stretched forth his hand, as he did, he would stretch forth his hand upon the peoples and the nations of the world, men and women. As he pointed towards them, this liquid light seemed to flow from his hand into this person, and a mighty anointing of God came upon them, and those people began to go forth in the name of the Lord. That's what you're destined for. That's what's coming to you. Praise God. I do not know how long I watched. It seemed it went into days and weeks and months, and I beheld Christ as he continued to stretch forth his hand. But there was a tragedy. There were many people as he stretched forth his hand that refused the anointing of God and the call of God. I saw men and women that I knew people that I felt that certainly they would receive the call of God. But as he stretched forth his hand toward this one and toward that one, they simply bowed their heads and began to back away. And to each of those who seemed to bow down and back away, they seemed to go into darkness. Blackness seemed to swallow them everywhere. I was bewildered as I watched it. But these people that he had anointed, hundreds of thousands of people all over the world, in Africa, Asia, Russia, China, America, all over the world, the anointing of God was upon these people as they went forth in the name of the Lord. I saw these men and women as they went forth. They were ditch diggers. They were washwomen. They were rich men. They were poor men. I saw people who were bound with paralysis and sickness and blindness and deafness. As the Lord stretched forth his hand to give them the anointing, they became well they became healed and they went forth Woo! hallelujah your sickness and disease is not going to take you out God's going to take it out praise God you've got a work to do you're not going anywhere hallelujah praise God until your time is up you're not going anywhere you got a lot of years left on your divine calendar Woo! thank you Jesus Tommy Hicks continues, and this is the miracle of it. This is the glorious miracle of it. Those people would stretch forth their hand exactly as the Lord did, and it seemed that there was this same liquid fire that seemed to be in their hand. As they stretched forth their hand, they said, according to my word, be thou made whole. As these people continued in this mighty end time ministry, I did not fully realize what it was. And I looked to the Lord and said, what is the meaning of this? And he said, this is that, that I will do in the last days. I will restore all that the canker worm, the palmer worm, the caterpillar, I will restore all that they have destroyed. 
This by people in the end time shall go forth as a mighty army that will sweep over the face of the earth. As I was at a great height, I watched these people as they were going to and fro over the face of the earth. Suddenly there was a man in Africa, and in a moment he was transported in the Spirit of God, and perhaps he was in Russia, or China, or America, or some other place, and vice versa. And all over the world these people went, and they came through fire, and through pestilence, and through famine. Neither fire nor persecution, nothing seemed to stop them. Angry mobs came to them with swords and with guns, and like Jesus, they passed through the multitude, and they could not find them. But they went forth in the name of the Lord, and everywhere they stretched forth their hand, the sick were healed, the blind eyes were opened, there was no long prayer. And one of the things it seemed, after I had reviewed the vision so many times in my mind, and I thought about it so many times, I never saw a church, and I never saw or heard a denomination, but these people were going in the name of the Lord of hosts. As they marched forward, everything they did as the ministry of Christ in the end time, these people were ministering to the multitudes over the face of the earth. Tens of thousands, even millions seemed to come to the Lord Jesus Christ as these people stood forth and gave the message of the kingdom of a coming kingdom in this last hour. It was so glorious. God is going to give the world a demonstration in this last hour, such as the world has never known. Fasten your seatbelt. Praise God. Get ready for what I'm about to read to you that Tommy Hicks is still sharing. Woo, thank you, Lord Jesus. God is going to give the world a demonstration in this last hour such as the world has never known. These men and women are of all walks of life. Degrees will mean nothing. I saw these workers as they were going forth over the face of the earth. When one would seem to stumble and fall, another would come and pick them up. There was no big I and little you, but every mountain was brought low and every valley was exalted, and they seemed to have one thing in common. There was divine love that seemed to flow forth from these people as they went together, as they worked together, as they lived together. It was the most glorious thing that I've ever known. Jesus Christ was the theme of their life. As I watched from the very heaven itself, there were times when great deluges of this liquid light seemed to fall upon great congregations, and that congregation would lift their hands and seemingly praise God for hours and even days as the Spirit of God came upon them. God said, I will pour my spirit upon all flesh. And this is exactly the thing that God was doing. And to every man and to every woman that received this power and the anointing of God, the miracles of God, there was no ending to it. And then again, as these people were going about the face of the earth, a great persecution seemed to come from every end of the earth. Suddenly there was another loud clap of thunder that seemed to resound around the world. And I heard again the voice, the voice seemed to speak, now this is my people, this is my beloved bride, 
And when the voice spoke, I looked upon the earth, and I could see the lakes and the mountains. The graves were opened, and people from all over the world, the saints of all ages, seemed to be rising. As they rose from the graves, suddenly all these people came from every direction, and they seemed to be forming again this gigantic body. As the dead in Christ seemed to be rising first, I could hardly comprehend it. It was so marvelous, it was far beyond anything I could ever dream or think of. But as the body suddenly began to form and take shape, it took shape again in the form of this mighty giant. But this time it was different. It was arrayed in the most beautiful, gorgeous white. Its garments were without spot or wrinkle as the body began to form. And the people of all ages seemed to be gathering into this body. And slowly, slowly, as it began to form up into the heavens, suddenly from the heavens above, the Lord Jesus came. He became the head, and I heard another clap of thunder that said, This is my beloved bride, in whom I have waited. She will come forth, even tried by fire. This is she that I have loved from the beginning of time. Oh, praise God. Praise God. Praise the Lord. He said he turned and saw the body arrayed in the beautiful white garment. Slowly, slowly it began to rise from the earth, and he said, As it did, I awoke. He said, I have seen the end time ministry. He said, um, the same revelation was repeated, the same vision. It came exactly as it did before, so he had the vision three times. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. The church is coming into its finest hour. There is an awakening that's beginning to take place right now. Gulliver's moving starting to struggle. He's going to break free. The church, the bride is breaking free and all the filth and all the defilement is going to come off. The glory rain, the golden rain is coming down. Sickness and disease will flee. Poverty will flee. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Power will flow through the church. Thank you, Jesus. God's best is coming to you. You need to get ready. And you need to be awake and you need to be going all out for the Lord now. Hallelujah. Mm, Thank you, Lord Jesus. God's going to touch many, many, many. But I want you to understand he's going to touch you. It's his desire to touch you. God's going to turn many people into prophets. Countless people are going to be turned into prophets. It's just like one day Saul. Here's Saul, you know, of, of the tribe of Benjamin. And, you know, he's like, he's like, uh, like, kind of like a normal guy, you know, he's anointed to be king. And then he gets around these prophets and he starts prophesying. And the next thing you know, people are saying, is Saul among the prophets? Did did he get turned into a prophet? He became a different man. Some of you are going to be touched in a way where you're going to be so touched by the Lord that, that so many things will be different. So many things will be different. You begin to seek the Lord like you never have before. It's time to wake up. As you do, you'll see the double doors are open. Walk through them. Say goodbye, Babylon. I'm done with you. (laughs) Walk into the kingdom of God. Come up to Zion. And let the Lord, let the Lord make you beautiful in His sight. Let the Lord anoint you. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Many of you will be sent. 
Many of you will be sent all over the world. Others, you will be, you will be in that spirit of translation. And I, I've been translated before. I've, I've even preached in the church that physically I never went to. They actually said I was there physically, but I knew where I was at physically. I just got so lost in prayer. I, I don't know. Maybe I did go there physically. I was so lost in prayer. I don't, I don't know what happened, but they, they said I was there, even had it on tape. <laughs> How about that? How about that? They even took an offering for me. Isn't that nice? And all I'm doing is praying on my knees somewhere completely different, lost in prayer. And I went and preached in a different city. And the funny thing about it is I didn't even know I had done it until they told me. Praise the Lord. Get ready for some trips. Get, get ready to get into the glory. Mm. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Stay happy in the Lord. Stay happy in the Lord. Walk in love and walk in humility. Walk in unity. You, you cannot have unity without the glue that holds it together. The glue that holds unity together is humility. It's humility and love for each other. Glory to God. Get ready. Get ready. The, the body of Christ, I can sense it in the spirit, is beginning to struggle against the ropes, the lies, the deceptions of the enemy, the intimidation of the enemy. The ropes are about to snap. And this thing is going to roll. Glory to God. This is not this is not just a year or two. This thing is going to roll for decades unless the Lord comes sooner than what we would even know. And so, you know, we'll, we'll just live each day the best we can all for the Lord. Please lift your hands. Heavenly Father, I pray that this anointing that's on this prophetic message, touch your people, touch your people. They've got something to live for. You've got a plan for them. You have anointing. You have empowerment for them beyond what they've even realized. Oh God, awaken your people. Begin to show it to them. And let every yoke, let every bondage fall. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father God, for grace to go through the two double leave doors and walk right out of anything that would have held us back and into your best. We give you praise. You know what you're doing in this hour, for you are the most wise, the most high God. And we give you praise that you've given us insight to it. Thank you, Father God. In the name of Jesus, and we all say, Amen. And Amen. Glory. Glory to Jesus. Let's celebrate and take communion together today. Praise God. Praise God. Let me help you walk through those doors of freedom today. Go with me very briefly to the book of Romans, Paul's masterpiece, Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Three, the three most important chapters, I believe, in the entire New Testament Romans 6, 7, and 8. You have the Gospels which come first, but without Paul's teaching and the epistles, we would not have revelation or of understanding of what Christ accomplished for us at Calvary. But Paul began to open it up. Oh, is it a, is it ever an incredible package? Let's get ready to take communion by looking at Romans chapter six, verse three. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized 
or immersed or placed into Christ Jesus were baptized, immersed, and placed into his death. This is not talking about water baptism. The act of water baptism does not save you. It is an act that identifies you as being immersed into the death of Christ when he died. It is your faith and trust in Christ that makes your life right with God. You're saved by grace through faith. Now, of course, any believer needs to be immersed in water. We are commanded to do that in scripture, but is the water baptism is not what saves you. It is the grace of God that saves you and you putting your faith in the finished work of Calvary that saves you. So this actually is not talking about water baptism. The word baptize can also be translated as immerse or placed into. Well, this is not talking about being placed into water. This is talking about being placed into Christ in his death. Or do you not know that as many of us as were immersed or placed into Christ Jesus were baptized, immersed and placed into what? His death. Very, very important to understand that. Therefore, we were buried. Now, the Greek word buried here refers to being entombed. Therefore, we were buried. We were entombed with him through immersion or being placed into death. Wow. Stop and think about this just for a moment. In the mind of God the Father, when Jesus was entombed into that rich man's tomb, when he was entombed and the stone was rolled and closed in that way, and he's entombed, in the mind of God the Father, when Jesus was, you and I were also. Hmm. Wow. Wow. Yes. It says so. Woo! It's pretty heavy, isn't it? That's not all. That's not all. Verse 6, knowing this, and th- this, is the, this is the clincher, is you have to know it. And the word, the, the, or the phrase knowing here in, in the Greek refers to an experiential knowledge. Not, not, not just like hid knowledge. Okay, that's what it says. Okay, no. This is like, oh, I've got it. I caught the revelation of it. Okay, so watch this. Knowing this, or as we would say, catching the revelation of it, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Okay. In the mind of God, when Christ was placed into that tomb, you and I were in tune with, with, with him. In the mind of God the Father, when God saw Jesus nailed to that cross at Calvary, when he was crucified, guess what? Guess what? In the mind of God, we were crucified with him. We're going to take communion. Heavenly Father, bless the juice and the bread. We consecrate it. It's now the flesh and body of Jesus. It's the flesh, body, and blood of Jesus. Praise you, O God. Praise you, O God. As we take the body of Christ, I want you to see this. See Jesus on the cross, okay? And see yourself on the cross as well. 
because that's how God sees it. That's how God sees it. When Jesus was entombed, see your old self entombed with him. See your old sinful self that wanted to sin, that wanted to curse, that wanted to be immoral, that wanted to get drunk, that wanted to lie, that wanted to be jealous, that didn't mind being envious. See, see your old sinful self crucified on that cross with Jesus. Pastor Stephen, I see Jesus on the cross. Good. See yourself up there with him. Because that's how God sees it. Mm. See Jesus in the tomb. Yes. See yourself also entombed with him. Why? Why? Verse 11. Likewise, you also consider. Now the, the, the King James or New King James uses the word reckon. Likewise, you also reckon. The word reckon is derived from a Greek word for accounting. Okay. So count it or consider it. Uh, consider yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. At Calvary, at Calvary, your and my sin nature was dealt with, and Jesus broke forever the power of sin for whoever would put their faith and trust in him. You don't have to sin. You're probably going to sin again. I, I don't have to sin. I don't want to sin. I, 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 most likely I'm going to sin again. But here's the thing. The power of it has been broken. Well, if it's been broken, Pastor Stephen, why do I still have some um, cravings, some desires, and some urges? Great question. Let me explain it like this. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, the prophet Isaiah said, By his stripes you are healed. By the stripes of Jesus, and Isaiah's prophesying this before Jesus has ever even come to the earth, but he saw it. He saw the Lord on the cross, and the prophet said, By his stripes you are healed. Are healed present tense. Peter saw it differently. Isaiah saw it as forthcoming and even said as a bold statement, by his stripes, you are healed. Peter was different. Peter looking back on the other side of the cross, knowing that Jesus said it is accomplished. It is finished. Now, now that it's a done deal, Peter looking back at that epic moment, First Peter 2.24 in his epistle said, By his stripes you were healed. Past tense. Isaiah said, are healed. Present tense. Peter said, were healed. By his stripes you were healed. Past tense. In other words, it's already done. Well, Pastor Stephen, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. If it's already done, why am I still sick? I have a sickness. I have a disease. What's going on? What's going on is the method of God. Every promise of God must be appropriated by faith. If I want to drink that water, I've got to believe it and receive it, pick it up and drink it. Now with my cup and my water, I can actually see, I can see it. Doesn't really take any faith. 
because it's there. But the promises of God, you have to take it by faith, even if you can't see it. And Peter said, by his stripes, you were healed. Well, it doesn't look like it. Looks like I'm still sick. That's because you're believing circumstances over the word. But those who have taken hold of the word, those who have taken God at his word and said, Lord, Isaiah said it. Jesus did it. Peter, looking back, confirmed it. Lord, I believed it. And next thing you know, healing starts to spring forth. And you you realize it's true. It's true. He bore my sins and my sicknesses and diseases at Calvary. And the faith becomes a living reality. But it all began because of a revelation, understanding healing is in the atonement. You caught that revelation, whether you saw it in Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, or whether you saw it in 1 Peter 2, 24, whether you saw it in Matthew 8, 17, or all of the other uh, numerous scriptures that promote God as the ever healing God. Somehow you caught it and you believed it and it was true and it manifested. Okay. Okay. Pastor Stephen, if Jesus dealt with the power of sin at Calvary, why do I still have urges? Why do I still have things that want to dominate and control me that I know aren't right? I'll tell you why. Lack of appropriating what Christ did for you and me at Calvary concerning the crushing of sin's power. And so a lot of Christians think, I can't help it. I have to just give in to it. What's going on? The same thing that would go on with the Christian who's sick and doesn't know that Jesus can heal you. And technically, in the mind of God, he already has. Peter, looking back at the finished work of Jesus on the cross, said, by his stripes you were healed. So in the mind of God the Father, Jesus has already done it. You just have to tap into it by faith, and you'll see that it is true. In the mind of God the Father, Jesus at Calvary dealt with the sin issue, dealt with, uh, you know, making payment for the penalty of sin, and for the believer, broke the power of sin. And Paul said, sin no longer has dominion over you. Well, it sure looks like it does. That's because you're believing circumstances instead of believing what God said. This is why this is the masterpiece of the Apostle Paul. What is the masterpiece? Sin does not have power to dominate you. By the way, this is one of the things the church waking up, straps and bands snapping, and the church realizing, you can't hold me down, devil. You cannot hold me down. Sin. Mm-hmm. Have you ever noticed, like I have, that the devil's not the greatest problem, but it's your body? But when you realize that sin's power to work against your body has been broken and does not have dominion over you, and you start enforcing that and believing that and standing on Romans 6, 6, the next thing you know, you're getting up. And like Gulliver, you're starting to take control of the island now. (laughs) Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Are you ready to take communion? Are you ready to wake up and get up? Let's take communion together because sin shall not have dominion over you. Ooh, I dare you to believe Romans 6, 6. I dare you to believe it. Mm. Thank you, Lord Jesus. 
please take the body of Jesus. Father, as we hold the flesh of Christ in our hands, we thank you that we celebrate the death of Jesus. We proclaim his death, and that when he died, when he was crucified, we were crucified with him. Father, there's an element of mystery about this where we fully can't comprehend it, but we do see it and we believe it now. We thank you. Father, as we receive this, this flesh of Christ, we also see that Christ was entombed and we see ourselves entombed with him. And as he was resurrected, we, we somehow, Paul said, we're also resurrected with him into newness of life. And we thank you, Father, that the dominion of sin has been broken. That what bound the first Adam who sinned and previous generations all the way up to Christ, the second Adam, that power has been broken. We thank you for holy and clean and pure minds. We thank you for the power to live a lifestyle that brings you glory and honor. We thank you for grace to control our tongues. We thank you for motives to love. And oh God, we thank you for stepping into the role of mature believers being fashioned into that beautiful body of Christ, the bride of Christ. Father, we receive the body of the Lord Jesus now, his flesh. We give you praise. Let's partake. Amen. Freedom from sin, I think, is a teaching that's beginning to come back to the body of Christ. The great evangelist, Jimmy Swaggart, who could move Colosseums of people with empowered sermons and could minister to people and great evangelistic anointing. He had a sin problem. It, it became, it became greater and greater in his private life until it spilled over into his public life. Kind of like what happened with King David and brother Swaggart later talked about how he had fasted and prayed and sought God to help him get the victory. But he's just simply couldn't figure out how to get the victory. It wasn't that he was, wasn't trying. He just could, couldn't figure out how to get the victory. But one, one day after he had had, you know, public humiliation and exposure, and, you know, now he's trying to work all of this out. He had asked the Lord, Lord, what, what's going on? Where am I missing it at? And the Lord told him, he said, it's because you don't understand the sin nature. And took him to Romans 6.6. By the way, this is what the great apostle, John Wesley, the leader of what we know today as the Methodist church, this is what John Wesley called the second work of grace. And in some ways, many theologians consider it more important than even the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Because you have regeneration or what we call being born again. But there needs to be the reality of understanding that sin. Sin does not have the power to dominate you unless you give it the power. Praise God. The power's coming. 
the anointing is coming. Thank you, Lord Jesus. As we receive the blood of Jesus, see yourself free from sin, sickness, disease. Woo. Let me tell you this. If, if, if sin cannot dominate you and hold you down, there's, there's no way sickness and disease has the power to dominate you and hold you down. Mm. Because sickness and disease is an offspring of sin. I'm not saying if you're sick, you sinned. I'm just saying that this fallen world and all of the yucky things that are in it are all a byproduct of sin. It's all revolving around the curse. What, what releases the curse? Sin. So in Christ, you are blessed and that power of the curse is broken and sin no longer has dominion over you. Woo. Pastor Stephen, what happens if I miss it? Repent and, and just thank God for his grace because the sin issue has been dealt with. And I think believers today have a good grasp of knowing that there's forgiveness for sin and you don't want to sin, but if you, if you miss it, there's forgiveness. But the revelation today is coming forth to the body of Christ that there is grace and sin to not sin, to stand strong, to have the character of Christ, have the maturity of Christ and walk as Christ in the earth. Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus. We thank you that your word settles it forever. We believe Romans chapter six, verses three, four, verse six and verse 11 to 12. We believe the whole chapter. We believe all of it. Father, we give you praise. We thank you for your work of grace in our lives. We thank you for strength and walking in the power of the resurrected Christ. Thank you, Father God. Touch your people as we receive the communion today. In the Lord Jesus' great and holy name we pray. Amen. Let's drink. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Even if you live to be 120, should the Lord tarry. Life is short. It goes quick. Live your life for the Lord. Live your life for the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. The countdown timer is clicking. We are in the end times. The church is awakening up. It is time for you. Please listen to me. It is time for you to come into your finest hour in Christ. The Lord is going to bless the church, the, the outpouring on the church in the last days on the global church is going to be unlike anything we've ever seen before. Many, many, many times over anything we've ever heard about or read about. Get ready because you will be in the thick of it. Father, bless your people. We thank you that you are waking us up, preparing us for your glory and the mighty empowering work of your spirit. We thank you, Father God. We thank you, Father God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thanks for watching. For more information about the ministry of Apostle Stephen Brooks, visit our website at stephenbrooks.org.